All right. Very good. Thank you very much. David, it's always good to come and to see you. You're just such an enthusiastic individual. So I want to just recognize this. Okay. Well, it, it really is good to finally be able to come and to uh, speak in regards to the topic of congregational outreach. I think the last time I was going to do this, you guys had like three feet of snow. Isn't that correct? Uh, 27th of January or 23rd of January. See, three feet of snow in Chicago, that's like, ah, just get out and get back to work. No big deal. You guys, I don't think you have plows down here, right? So when you had the snow, nobody could go anywhere. You have one plow. It's for the mayor. One plow for the mayor so he can get around. Well, uh, Chicago, we have a few more plows uh, than that. Um, it is really uh, a pleasure and an honor to be here, though, to be able to speak on this topic. I think, as, uh, as, as uh, David mentioned, uh, you know, I've recently served as union president. As I've traveled around the country, one of the things I noticed is that we just don't have as much passion for reaching out as we used to. But I would go so far as to say that's a common problem. That's not just a problem within the Messianic Jewish community. I would say all of the body of Messiah within our continental United States, because I've never been to Alaska or uh, Hawaii, uh, it all suffers this. There is not an, an, a, you know, I don't care what you re read or see on TV, when you actually study the statistics, the believing community in America is shrinking. Over half of the children raised within believing evangelical congregations Think gospel-type congregations. Those children leave and are not leaving as believers, okay? We have some problems about the gospel. We have problems in, this, in preaching it, discipling people into it. Uh, we got problems. And, uh, and yet, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that the problem is mostly, I think, because of neglect, <laughs> You know, we just don't, we don't focus on the right thing. I, I've, I've got to, this is such a bummer. I've got to use these things. But, so nice, Sandy let me borrow hers. But they're not purple or pink or anything. Uh, I read this and I, I want to share this because I think this sums up our problem at times. The Times reporter of New Philadelphia, Ohio, reported all the way back in 1985 a celebration of a New Orleans municipal pool. The party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at the New Orleans City Pool. First of all, that tells you right there, don't swim in that pool. If they have to have a special party because, hey, nobody died this year, don't swim there, okay? All right, in honor of the occasion, 200 people gathered, including 100 certified lifeguards. As the party was breaking up and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool, they found a fully dressed body in the deep end. They tried to revive Jer uh, Jerome Moody, age 31, but it was too late. He had drowned, surrounded by lifeguards, celebrating their successful season. How ironic. But isn't that so, such an appropriate thought-provoking illustration for us when we talk about evangelism. I love to joke about the fact that here in the city of Richmond, there are still a few unsaved people out there, just a few, probably at least 90% of the community, right? 
Every single day you interact with people that are not actually followers of the Messiah Yeshua. They have actually not accepted the truth of the Besorah, the good news. Yet how often are we attentive to this reality? How often are we seriously considering what can we do to provide for individuals an opportunity to both see and hear the gospel? I would dare say that for most of us, we go through our days and we, we just don't even think about it. We do not think about the spiritual state of the people around us. This morning, what I want to do is I want to, and I'm going to have to use these. It's a bummer. I hope I look okay in these. Uh, this morning, what I really want to do is challenge us in this issue. In this service, I'm going to be speaking from 1 Corinthians 9 and Philippians 2 and try to go clicky because I know the clock. But uh, this afternoon, after the Kiddush, I want to just be very practical on, on uh, to, and things to help you to think about how you can be a testimony and a witness within your Jewish community or in Richmond. Anything I say to you about reaching Jewish people is relevant for everybody. Except for the fact that the details are going to be specific, okay? All right, there are things that you specifically have to keep in mind if you want to try and be a relevant testimony within the Jewish community. But the generalities are all the same. People are not dying to get saved, they're just dying. And they don't have a relationship with God generally because they're turned off by religion or they don't have a clear understanding of the truth or any number of things. That, that we as followers of Messiah Yeshua can clear up for them if we're willing to be attentive to them regarding the gospel message. So my challenge is going to be for you, for us today, to accept our personal responsibility to actively engage with the Jewish people outside the synagogue. It's not that person's responsibility. It's not David's job. It's not the elder's job. It's not just somebody who calls himself an evangelist's job. Although God raises up evangelists, it is your responsibility. So when I'm pointing at you, I want you to be thinking of the fact that you, as an individual, are responsible to actively speak forth, project out, proclaim the gospel to the people that are around you. It's nobody else's responsibility but yours, okay? And not only, though, could you be thinking in terms of presenting the gospel to people out there in, in just a haphazard manner, but you got to remember, people do not generally get saved one-off. I've been doing evangelistic work for over 30 years, over 30 years. I've seen dozens of Jewish people kind of believe in Jesus. The only time it really becomes relevant is when people not only hear the truth, but are brought within a faith community. Outside of that, I think evangelism is highly ineffective. Just go talk to the Billy Graham Association or Luis Palau. <laughs> they do it better than anybody on the, on the wide, wide spectrum. And they will say that evangelism is ineffective unless you can get people engaged within a congregation. So everything I'm going to say today, I challenge you not only to be speaking and interacting actively outside, because that's where the unbelievers are, except for the, maybe you're here today and you don't know Yeshua yourself, but we can talk later. But it's how you can get them back into this place. How you can actively think, how you can invite them within this community. Which also means then that this community needs to be a place that is desirable for those who are not followers of Messiah that it is attractional toward them, all right? 
And so all this are concepts I want to challenge us with this morning. All right? So turn with me in your scriptures to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I am sure there's not a person in here who hasn't heard this before. Well, there might be a person, but I'm sure you've all heard this. This is a text about uh, the, the gospel and, and proclaiming it and making adjustments in oneself. And I want to begin on this discussion with a challenge of why we should proclaim the gospel. We all know that we're supposed to be talking to people about Jesus out there, right? But I want to reiterate very briefly the why. The why. First of all, I want to point out that we have an obligation to do it. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19. Shaul is writing, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Messiah, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that means people, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. The first thing I want to clearly get across is that we have an obligation to speak for the gospel. I'm just using scripture to back up what I just said. You do not have a past that you don't have to share your faith with people. I was a brand new believer in Yeshua, and this kid who grew up Catholic had become a believer in Yeshua. And uh, I, I had a chance to interact with his family, and you know, it's a small group of us in California uh, in the mid 80s. And I remember him saying to me, I don't share the gospel with people. If people want to hear about the gospel, you know, they can ask me. <laughs> you know? And, and you know, there's a lot of people that had that attitude. I don't want to talk about it because if I talk about it, you know, I mean, I want just people to see. Now, listen, I'll be honest with you. If you don't have much, to, if people can't see much in you, you probably shouldn't be talking about it anyway, okay? But, but that mentality is, is not a good mentality. We have an obligation to make Yeshua known to people, we have, especially in this pluralistic world. You have an obligation. You have a responsibility. Talk to people about who God is. Talk to people about the reality of the gospel message. And uh, yet, uh, Shaul, when he speaks about the obligation and he speaks about uh, what he, you know, the challenge of this text, it really is a mass, uh, uh, is a, um, the emphasis is really on his action in regards to people. When I became a believer in Jesus, a couple of things I realized. All the people who said they were believers in Jesus were not really believers in Jesus. They were just Christians, okay? That was a shock. Wow. <laughs> Surrounded by Christians, none of them were saved, you know? That was interesting. Second thing is I realized that the people that, I mean, well, the reason I became a believer is because I saw the life of an individual or two who lived so different, who had a relationship with God that was real, and that drew me. Sometimes the problem that we have as believers in Yeshua is we don't understand the power of testimony. I spend so much time doing damage control with new believers because of older believers. Have you ever thought about the fact that how you act 
inhibits people coming to believe in Jesus? How about this? How you act keeps people from growing in their relationship with God sometimes. Shaul in this text, when he talks about to the Jew I became as a Jew and to the um, anarchist really, you know, I became like an anarchist, you know, the law was about long. Anyway, I don't want to do an exegetical study, but the point of this passage is adjusting oneself for the sake of effective communication of the truth. Too often when we preach the gospel to people, we do exactly that. We preach at people. And they can't figure out what we're talking about. You know, I remember hearing people say to me, you need to be saved. You need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Saved from what? Saved from what? Washed in the blood of a Lamb. I'm from Northern California. I'm going to call the SPCA on you because you obviously are abusing animals. We communicate the message of the, of the gospel sometimes, caring less about what people get from our communication. We must adjust ourselves. We must clearly communicate the gospel in a way that people are going to get it. Different people will understand it in different ways. Not just when it comes to you know, Jewish people and, and let's say Jews and Catholics or Baptists or whatever people's different religious backgrounds and think of Muslims. All these different people come with their perceived understandings of truth. Do you just have like one approach <laughs> and you just give it both barrels and then walk away and say, it's up to the Spirit of God now? Well, that's laziness. That's that's not a gospel message. You're abusing people with a truth that God's going to judge you for, if that's your approach and your attitude. Do you adjust yourself to make sure that the message you proclaim is communicated clearly? You know what is the great motivator? Love. Love. I was at a wedding. I had to perform a wedding last Sunday. Uh, Amy Stein got married. <laughs> All right? And I love Amy, and I love her new husband, uh, but her mom and dad drive me crazy. Uh, father's an unsaved Jewish guy, known him for a long time, and I always think about what can I do to adjust my approach to him so that I can more clearly communicate the gospel to this lunkhead of a hard rock of a fellow who has just got a lot of problems. It's very difficult sometimes to preach the gospel. It demands an awful lot of thought and prayer and intentionality. Do you approach sharing your faith with people like that? Are you willing to seriously consider what new thing can I do to try and communicate God's love to this individual? We must love people so much that we adjust the message of our gospel presentation so that it most effectively communicates with them. You know, in, uh, this afternoon I'm going to talk a little bit about Messianic prophecy. Most of the time, the Jews that I interact with are not really interested in talking about messianic prophecy. They're not. What they want to mostly know is, is your faith real? Is your faith real? That leads me to my second passage. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And again, I'm not doing a, a long exegetical discussion of these texts. It's more to to just provide the illustration. 
If we understand we are obligated to make the gospel known, that we understand the, that we have to adjust ourselves to present the gospel effectively, we also have to understand the importance of personal humility when it comes to, project, uh, to presenting the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse, uh, verse 14. Philippians 2, 14. Uh, Shaul, Paul writes, and he says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of God, so that I may rejoice in the day of Messiah, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. This is a, a part of a big passage, which I don't have time to go into. But when you read this passage and you think about this passage, what the passage projects is humility. Humility. Are you humble? Of course, if you say you're humble, then are you humble? There's an, I want to read another illustration. It's great. Uh, Henry Augustus Rowland. These are old illustrations, but they're funny. Uh, Henry Augustus Rowland. One of the most brilliant American scientists in the late 1800s and chair of physics at John Hopkins University from 1876 to 1901, so it's a long time ago, was once called to serve as an expert witness at a trial. During cross-examination, a lawyer demanded, what are your qualifications as an expert witness in this case? The normally modest and retiring professor replied quietly, I am the greatest living expert on the subject under discussion. Later, a friend well acquainted with Rowland's disposition expressed surprise at the professor's uncharacteristic answer. Rowland answered, well, what did you expect me to do? I was under oath. <laughs> That's a great answer. He, li he literally was <laughs> the greatest living expert. Uh, a, uh, a Christian pastor once said, the humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he is forgotten because he has received the spirit of Yeshua who pleased not himself and who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. And when we think about Philippians chapter 2, we are thinking about a passage dealing with humility. When you want... When? If you desire to be an effective testimony for Yeshua, especially within the Jewish community. You must be humble. <laughs> you must be humble. Why? Why must you be humble? Well, we, we need to communicate the reality that God is doing a work in our lives. You know, within, within the religious community, there's a lot of pride. I mean, if I want to hang out with a bunch of pride pe proudful people, I go hang out with a bunch of religious leaders. You know, it's annoying. Everything is going great. Their synagogues are all growing. You know, their children all have straight teeth. I mean, it's like, give me a break. Life is difficult. I struggle. There's sin in my life. There was a Christian pastor, last name of Wearsby. He gave a sermon once. And as part of the sermon, he said, you know what? If I knew it was in your hearts, all you people out there, I wouldn't bother to preach at you. In other words, you guys were all sinful, and half of you were probably on your cell phones texting to friends or walked in Facebook, you know, bringing it into our day. But then he said, but if you knew it was in the reality of my heart and my life, you wouldn't bother to listen to me. That's humility. I'm not perfect. The people that you are hopefully wanting to share the gospel with 
They need to know you're not perfect. You don't need to bleed all over them about the details, but to be honest about your struggles. I'm actually meeting with a rabbi from a conservative synagogue in Skokie. He called me up, I don't know, three months ago and said, listen, can I sit down and talk with you about Jesus? Okay. Really very open to the gospel. And we sit and we talk, and we've been sitting for three months and talking. And one, we're developing a very good friendship because we talk about all kinds of things. And, and two, we're talking a lot about the gospel, about the person of Yeshua, the exclusivity of the gospel, which we're going to talk about in the seminar downstairs. But the other thing I do is I share the reality of my life. I allow him to know I'm human. The only thing that really separates this is if I have come, yes, I've come to accept that Yeshua is the Messiah. And that I've accepted the fact that the scriptures are true. And no, I don't understand it all. That's part of my humility. Should be part of yours. Some parts of the gospel message, I don't fully understand. Like, how can God truly be just? As this guy brings up, what about the Tibetan monk who never heard the gospel? Do you have a good answer for that? Because I don't. All I know is I humble myself before Holy Scripture where God says everyone has the opportunity. God is not unjust. He is not going to condemn people to hell without cause. I trust in the biblical text. I humble myself to, the fact, to God and to the fact that I don't know everything. People like that. People find that helpful for them because they don't understand it all either. Humility is a good thing. It's a good thing. Last thing I want to get across here before I get yanked off the stage. Uh, just a couple of thoughts in terms of, of uh, the gospel, because I know that some of you are not going to make it downstairs. What should proclaiming the message of Messiah through your synagogue community look like for you? <laughs> okay. Hopefully, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, you are a part of this synagogue community, not just because you like the, the music. I mean, I would honestly tell you, if you're here because you just like the music or you just like the Hebrew or whatever, well, come on, that's insufficient reasons to be here. It really is. You should have a deep part of your being an understanding that God has brought you here so that you can be a relevant testimony within the Jewish community. That's the uniqueness of this place. I imagine there are a few dozen other evangelical churches in the greater Richmond area, right? There's only one tikvah that I'm aware of in Richmond that's trying to be a relevant testimony to the Jewish community. Have you bought into that? Is that really at the core of why you're here? You want to let God use you in the lives of the Jews in this greater Richmond area? It's about 10,000 Jews in the greater Richmond area, according to statistics, which I'm going to show later. Do you care enough about them that you're here to make a difference for them? Is that part of the reason you're here? Good. <laughs> I'm going to make that assumption now and move on. A couple of things you need to keep in mind if you want to be a relevant testimony. First, proclamation requires getting uncomfortable. If you want to effectively communicate the gospel to people, it's going to be uncomfortable, no matter what. It really does get to be a little bit uncomfortable. But we must be willing to open our mouths and speak to people. Now, I'm not saying open your mouth and annoy people. <laughs> I have a very good friend of mine. His name is Joel. 
very successful in the, in the ways of the world, you know. It's a Canadian Jew. It's the only thing I don't like about Joel. That's a joke, you know, just so you know. But, but he is not spiritually open. He's just not. We, we get together for breakfast, comes to my house for Shabbat. He is totally spiritually disinterested. His wife is spiritually open. He's spiritually disinterested. Every time we get together, I think very intentionally, what can I do to at least speak some gospel into his life? That may not be believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, but it might be sharing how God has encouraged me or something has happened or offering to pray for him. All right? But that takes a little bit of work. It does at time lead to a little bit of, of discomfort in the conversation, but, but it's something I do very carefully because he's my friend and I love him and I simply want to move him forward in his relationship with God or to try and get him to think about God. Are you willing to do stuff like that with your Jewish friends? We must be willing to work hard in making our lives, though, consistent with our faith message. I think the biggest problem among believers today is we do not, as I said it before, we do not really even give two cents thought to the power of testimony. The power of testimony. On the job, are you a good, hard worker? Do people like working with you? Or are you so busy sharing the gospel that everybody else is doing your job and they hate you for it? That's an incredibly important testimony. In your neighborhood, are you known as the Bible thumper that doesn't know how to pick the weeds out of his yard? You know, I mean, little things, guys. You know, I was convicted. I'm a very aggressive driver. And my auto mechanic is an unsaved Jewish guy my wife has known literally since like elementary school because she grew up in Skokie. And his co-worker was commenting about my driving. I was convicted because... I'm a known entity, and if people consider me to be an annoying driver, I don't want that to reflect on my testimony for Yeshua. Do we understand, again, that our lives need to be consistent with our faith message? Proclamation, besides making us uncomfortable, will require authentic relationship. Will require authentic relationship. People want to know, do you really care about them? Or are you part of a, you know, or are they just part of your spiritual project? You know? Um, when I was a new believer, I got saved in 81. People would talk about soul winning. Soul winning. Well, most of the guys that did soul winning were not very effective at really evangelism, I found. But they were really aggressive about going out there and doing soul winning. Listen, people, God saves souls, you don't supposed to be a conduit, to be an encouragement, to project the, the gospel message in different ways. What people really want to know is, are you real? And if you're in relationship with people that are not believers, is it an authentic relationship? Do you hang out with them whether they believe in Yeshua or not? I think a number of you go and hang out at the JCC, right? That's good. JCC is great. In, in, in uh, this area, about 20% of the Jewish community uh, is attached to it in some way, which is, is pretty good. It's better than Chicago. So it's a great place to just go meet Jewish people. But are you going only to do soul winning, or are you going because you like the Israeli dancing and you're meeting people and you're having fun? Because they've got a, a decent workout center. You can go in there and it's not like a Bally's or something. I don't know. 
I mean, we have to think about the authenticity of our witness, our, the authenticity of our relationships. People do not like posers. People do not like people that are inauthentic, that are, that are not who they really are, especially when it comes to people on, on spiritual issues. We've got to think about whether or not we are authentic. Now, going to this, though, I'm not just talking about the quality of your relationship. I also want to ask the question, and I, and I, I don't want anybody to raise a hand. Do you have any Jewish friends? <laughs> you might have Jewish targets, but you have Jewish friends. That's an important question. You know, it, we are, you know, one person who wants to have friends needs to be friendly, as the Proverbs speak, all right? If you don't have any Jewish friends, then you need to think about why not? Maybe you should ask yourself, you know, what does that even mean for me? Authenticity of relationship, that's quality. Some people are not as, as good at making friends as other people. That, that's, that's, that's true. But if you desire to have relational connections with Jewish people, you really have a burden to see Jewish people come to believe in Yeshua. You need to make friends. That means you may, if you're the sort of person say, I don't know a single Jewish person, you might need some help. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to some of the leaders. Here, talk to David. David's very friendly. But, but find out what you need to do to authentically make relational connections. Because you can't be a testimony among the Jewish people of Richmond if you don't know any Jews. It doesn't work. All right? I live in Skokie, Illinois. I am surrounded by Jews. Everybody I know around me is Jews, except we have one Colombian family who lives next door to me. Very unusual. Very unusual. So it's not hard for me, but then I have to work hard at authentic relationships, though. It's easy to look at Maury, my neighbor, who owns all the kosher restaurants. Say, hey, Maury, how you doing? But to be honest with you, it's not much of a quality relationship. What am I doing? And I always am thinking, what am I doing? What can I do to have a better relationship with this, with this Jewish guy? My neighbor. Literally, I can spit in his house, you know? What am I doing? All right. Last thing, proclamation requires, as we've talked about, actively reaching out. Actively reaching out. These are simple principles. There's nothing here I'm talking about that doesn't work with a Catholic or a Muslim or a Hindu or anybody else. All right? What's nice here about Richmond is you've got the whole world coming to your doorstep in all of this greater D.C. area is what I call it. All right? All kinds of people you can witness to out there. These are general principles. But when it comes to Jewish people, because that's, that's what we're talking about, you are a Jewish communal grouping here. That's what you want to be as a, as a Messianic synagogue. What are you doing to actively reach out? Passivity will not work. Will not work. What are you doing to actively reach out? You have to give that some thought and some prayer. Last thing I want to do, interesting, I, I, every once in a while I'll do this. <clears throat> I uh, downloaded this off the internet because the whole world is at our fingertips. This is the seven factors hindering evangelism in churches. And uh, this is from a fellow... Um, I don't have his name on here. Rats. Okay, I do. Anyway, Google it yourself, and you'll be able to give him self-credit. Okay, this guy came up with seven factors. I think he's absolutely right. And this might be you. Listen closely. If you can say, yeah, that's me, then talk to me afterwards. 
First of all, he says the very first factor hindering evangelism in churches and congregations among believers, one, there is no priority for it. Nobody prioritizes it. Nobody thinks about it. I'm giving a message in evangelism. You're here sitting in the pew passively listening to me. You'll walk out the door and you won't even think about this topic until the next guy who sits in this pulpit and preaches on evangelism. Then if that is you, you're the number one reason evangelism isn't being done anywhere. You're not thinking about it. All right? Two, many laypersons believe that evangelism is what we pay the pastors and staff to do. It's the staff's responsibility to witness to people. Hey, uh, Rabbi, can you come and talk to my friend? He's not a believer in Yeshua, and someone needs to witness to him. Talk to me afterwards as well, okay? It is your responsibility. It's not just David's responsibility and Robert's responsibility and Lloyd's responsibility. It is everyone's responsibility to share the gospel. Everyone. Many churches have an excuse mentality. Pastors blame. This is great because I do speak in a lot of churches. Pastors are blaming the lady for not sharing the gospel. Ladies blame the pastor for not sharing the gospel. Eh, I don't think that's a problem here. Too many. This is too many people that are believers do not connect prayer with evangelism. Do you have effect? Do you have dedicated prayer times specifically in regards to reaching out, asking the Spirit of God to impact the lives of your family, your friends, the Jewish community here in Richmond? Just have an atheist prayer night. You're all going to pray for the atheists that are in the city of Richmond. I'm sure there's a few of them too. And a number of them are going to be Jews. Do you pray? Most churches, most congregations do not pray at all for unbelievers. Too many believers fail to be compassionate and Messiah-like to others. Now that's a, that, that's a big problem. We're such a turnoff often. You know, We need to think about, again, testimony. We need to be aware of our testimony. How are we coming across to people? And many people, again, not intentionally evangelistic, not actively reaching out. They are all lifeguards without paying attention to the pool. <laughs> Is that you? You have all your training in, but you don't pay attention to the pool? You're not really actively looking and involved in the lives of people through quality relationships? Then this is interesting, and I have noticed this in different places because I've done. A, I've been around a while. Some congregations are really afraid that people will actually become believers and come in here and change things. <laughs> you know, I've been working with young people for a long time. That's my community—a bunch of young people, a bunch of twenty-somethings, twenty, and now they're getting older, right? I'll tell you something: people change everything. You just, you know, if you're afraid that if you saw 10 Jewish people or 20 Jewish people or 100 Jewish people kind of believe in Yeshua, that it would change the character of your congregation, you know, stop that. You know, if this place, if people, you know, uh, in, the, in the 60s and the 70s, when a bunch of Jews came to faith in Yeshua, it, it really shook up the Messianic Jewish world. There's, there's, there's all discussions about this. It, it brought a lot of change. What is it that new believers do? They bring life. They bring, why do we do it that way? That's great. You know, why do we do what we do? Often it's called tradition. It's not really because it's the right way or the best way. It just happens to be the way we do things. We should be anticipating people coming to faith in Yeshua, Bring in their mess. We have to work with them to help encourage them and train them up and disciple them. There's all sorts of work to be done. 
But you know what it does? It brings life into community. It strengthens the community. It challenges the community. Let me wrap this up. If tikvat, if tikvat is to be the community God wants you to be, you must all be actively engaged with the Jewish people outside this synagogue. You all should be prayerfully considering what you can do to connect with the Jewish people around you. And you got a diverse group here. Most of the Jewish community in Richmond is just like you. Okay? They're not all that religious. They're not all that traditional. Uh, they're like you. They're professionals. They're hardworking. Many, I mean, the overwhelming majority is intermarried. They're normal people. Well, maybe some of you aren't normal. I don't know many of you well enough. But they're like you. All you got to do is try and reach out and connect with them to be focused on reaching out to them. But then also not just proclaiming the gospel to them out there and being a testimony to them out there, but looking for ways to invite them in here. That they would come and be encouraged with what it means to be in a, a community of faith where the gospel is not only preached but practiced and where people can be loved and cared for as part of a spiritual community of people whose lives have been changed because of the truth of the gospel message. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. God, I thank you for this community and the fact that I know that it is their desire to be useful for you. God, I pray that you would encourage them and that you would make their way straight for each individual in this synagogue, in this congregation, that they would have connections within the Jewish community, people that they know and love, regardless of the hardness of their hearts, that you would use them as salt and light in this greater Richmond area to bring the gospel out and that you would save Jewish people, that you would fill this old synagogue with a lot of Yeshua-following Jews. So God, I just thank you for their community. I pray your blessing on them, and I pray all this in Yeshua's name.